uh, I don't have anybody in mind when I say this. So let me just use me as an example. Have you ever gotten all dressed up and, you know, you think you look good? And you keep going to people and you say, do I look good, Brother Steve? Are you sure I look good? Are you positive I look good? And Brother Steve says, well, I guess you look good. I don't really know, but, you know, because I'm a guy. But, hey, you look all right. And Are you sure? Anybody ever had those moments where you just kind of, you just need a little bit of reassurance? Sometimes in life, we have this idea that we failed so miserably that there's no way God could ever love me. And, and we go to church and we hear the pastor preach and we hear the minister preach and in the back of our mind we're saying, but are you really sure he loves me? I want to tell you a story today. It's found in the Bible. I'm, I've got Bible verses here and I may, I may reference them. I'm not going to read it word for word by any stretch of the imagination. But I want to tell you the story of Peter. See, we know some things about Peter, but have you ever put all of it together? And if you do, you'll understand because he lives. I can face tomorrow. There's a lot, to be honest, there's really a lot you can ascertain from the story of Peter in the Bible. You can't, you, you got to read it. You have to read through it. You have to put pieces of it together and, and understand it. But historians will tell you that Peter was born about 1 B.C. Or for those of you that don't know B.C. and A.D. And to be honest, I had to go back and research it just to make sure I knew exactly when it starts. But to be honest, Peter was born about one year before Jesus was born. They called his name Simon. Later on, you find that he was Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar meaning son of Jonah. So his father was named Jonah. Simon would have lived for 31 years without much being known of his life. When he was 31 years old, he had an incredible encounter with the Christ. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But let me paint you a picture. 31 years old during that time frame and during that place in history, 31 years old was absolutely the middle age. It was the peak of life. Meaning I've done going over the peak and I'm going downhill. Some of you are farther downhill than I am if we were going back there. Most people didn't live out of their 60s or 70s and, and probably even a lot more before then. They didn't have everything we had and so it was that Peter... He's 31 years old. He's in his prime, if you will. It's not a stretch to assume that Peter was raised in a fishing household. It was very common for the son just to pick up what the dad did. There was not a lot of, of, of choices out there. You, you, you kind of just did what the family did. And, and so it was that he grew up there. He would have watched as a child. He would have watched his dad sail out there into the Sea of Galilee or maybe sometimes even a longer trip into the Mediterranean Sea or maybe the Jordan River. He would have watched him. Peter would have learned the currents, the moon phases and how the fish react. He would have known how to navigate the stars with just what he saw. He learned how to tell and see the weather patterns. And as we find out in the Bible and it becomes an old Mariners uh, thing, sky red at night, sailors delight. If the sky is red at morn, then sailors take warn. I would dare say that Peter grew up and he lost acquaintances. He perhaps even lost loved ones to the watery grave of broken boats and storm-capsized vessels. That fishing community would have been tight-knit, much like you see in some of the third world countries even today. He, along with his brother Andrew, 
and their dad, Jonah, likely would have been raised alongside Zebedee and his sons, James and John. It was there, and I don't know, maybe Simon, or, or, or rather, maybe Jonah, Peter's dad, and Zebedee, James and John's dad, maybe they swapped fishing stories. Perhaps they fished together, pulling those nets, one on each side with a boat. I would tell you that in the fishing community, in, the, in that place of Israel, life was tough. Fishing was tougher. I love to fish, and I will fish. I could probably stay out and fish longer than just about anybody here. But to be honest, if I don't catch anything, I can go home and open my refrigerator and pull out something. I'm not going to starve. But I've had some days and weeks and months that if I had to exist on what I was catching, I wouldn't be quite as portly as I am now. Peter went through those. They understood. Yes, portly, in case y'all are wondering. Peter understood that. There wasn't much time for sissies out on those waters. I know Peter was a Jew, and, and I'm sure that he was raised as a good Jewish uh, lad, but I, I don't think it's too hard to assume that Peter probably was not the most diligent partaker of Jewish religion. I don't know that he met every requirement. I don't know that he went to the temple as often as he should or sacrificed as often as they should. He was a gruff, a vile, and unkempt, vulgar fisherman prone to exaggerate his catch or even lie about where he caught that last group of fish. Peter, quick to defend his friends, quick to get in a fight but somewhere in all of that he found someone to love his rough and tumble ways and they were married because you find out later Peter had a mother-in-law it's a requirement for you to be married to someone for you to have a mother-in-law and so we know that I love the way the Bible records the history First John, or rather John chapter 1 says that John stood up and this is John the Baptist and two of his disciples and John the Baptist looks at Jesus as he walks by and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And those two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And if you take that and you go a little bit further, you find that those two disciples that followed John the Baptist, one of them's name was Andrew. The other one, history and, and the way the commentary you read the Bible, we find that it was John the writer of the book of John, not John the Baptist, but John, if you will, John the Revelator. And again, forgive me if I read too much in between the lines, but I just don't see Peter as being quite the follower of John the Baptist that his brother Andrew was. I, I wonder if Peter ever scoffed at Andrew's discipleship to this new prophet named John the Baptist, the one that came out of the wilderness cat clad in camel's hide and ate locusts and honey and he was rough and tough himself and he preached hellfire and brimstone. I, I wonder if Peter needled or questioned Andrew's blind following of the one who preached so hard and so unrelenting on baptism and repentance. But regardless of whether or not Peter was a follower of John the Baptist, one thing remains very clear. There was a moment in Peter's life when Jesus walked by. In order to understand this, you have to look at three elements of the Gospels. You have to look at the recording of the Gospel of John, the recording of the Gospel of Mark, and the recording of the Gospel of Luke. Just in case you're wondering, the, the Gospel of Mark was written by a guy by the name of John Mark. You find John Mark as a young teenager right around the time of the crucifixion and, and all of that. Some say the upper room was owned by John Mark's dad. John Mark probably wasn't really 
a part of the inner circle. And so you wonder, how does John Mark write the gospel of Mark? How does he write it and have so many incredible details? And many, many, many Bible theologians would tell you that the gospel of Mark is should be, and not that we're saying the Bible's wrong, but it would be okay to say the gospel of Mark is really the gospel of Peter. That it was Peter's own words told to John Mark that caused him to write it down. Maybe Peter was illiterate, I don't know. That's why there's so many details that you're going to see later about Peter's life that's woven through the Gospels. If you read the Gospel of John, you find that, that, that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, heard John speak and followed him. And then after he heard uh, Jesus, then, then Andrew found his own brother Simon and said, We found the Messiah, the Christ. And Andrew brought Simon Peter to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You're Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt soon be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone, or Peter. And Mark, you find a little bit different uh, uh, visual of that. None of it's wrong. It's not to be in, you know, it's not to say that one person wrote the right account and another didn't. It's just the way they saw it happening. It says that Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee. This is Mark chapter 1. And he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea. And Jesus said, if you'll come after me, I'll make you fishers of men. The Bible says straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. A little bit later, he finds James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And they're mending nets. And Jesus called them. And they left Zebedee in the boat. And they followed him. A little bit more. But really, here's the truth, uh, the, the, the depth of what happened. It's found in Luke chapter 5. That Jesus was walking by and people were pressing him. They were wanting to hear what Jesus had to say. Every time Jesus opened his mouth, incredible things happened. The press of the crowd was so much that Jesus is, is literally being forced back until his back is at the sea. And Peter's sitting in a ship, just cynical Peter, you know, kind of laughing at it. And to be honest, Peter was probably thinking, I wonder if he's going to fall in. And then Jesus kind of looks at Peter and he says, let me get in your boat. For just a moment, Peter was like, oh, this is my boat. But Peter let Jesus in his boat, thrust out a little from the land, and Jesus sat down in the boat and taught the people to, and there. And I can imagine Peter sitting on the side of the boat and he's mending his nets and he's listening. And, and, and it's intriguing and he doesn't quite understand it all. It's, it, it's there and... Finally, when Peter or, or when Jesus was done speaking, he looks at Peter and he says, Now let's go fishing. Go out into the deep water and let down your nets. I preached this a few months ago. Peter said, uh, Jesus, you know, you did a great job speaking and you're a preacher, but why don't we let the preachers handle the preaching? Let the fishermen handle the fisher, the fishing, because out in the deep there's no fish. But Jesus told him, Go ahead and do it. And so they went and put their net down and so many fish jumped into the net that they had to call James and John the other ship and they came and it filled both the ships and they began to sink. And all of a sudden something clicks in Peter's mind and he falls to his knees and he looks at Jesus and he says, "You, there, there's something different about you. I'm a sinful man. I, I don't belong in the presence of one as great. Just why don't you go? Why don't you, why don't you, you, you leave me alone? I, I, I'm not comfortable being around you. And Jesus says, no, I want you to come with me. I'm going to do something incredible in your life. I'll make you fishers of men. Peter was there when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Says that they left the synagogue, Luke chapter 4, and entered into Simon's house. His mother, his wife's mother was had a great fever. And, and, and they had come to him. And, and he's there as Jesus leans down and touches his mother-in-law. And she 
instantly is healed and begins to prepare a meal for them. It was Peter there. What a time that must have been when they went. It was the woman with the issue of blood that touched the hem of Jesus' garment and he healed her. But they were really on their way to Jairus' house where his daughter was sick. And even on the way they got word the daughters died. Jesus says, James and John, Peter, why don't you come with me? We're gonna, I want to show you something. And they walk into the house and they, they kick everybody else out. And here's this dead young lady laying on a couch perhaps. And Jesus says, she, she's not sleeping. Or she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And everybody said, no, no, she's, she's dead. We've, we, we've checked the heartbeat. We put a, a mirror over her mouth. There's no fog going on. It, it, she is dead. And Jesus said, well, let me show you. And he puts down her hand and he takes her by the hand. And he basically says, rise, and that maid arose, and Peter steps back. He had never seen anything like this. It had been a long time since there's any recording of anyone being raised from the dead. And Peter looks, and Peter enjoyed being with Jesus. Peter was there on the boat when the storm came, and Jesus walked on top of the waves. And Peter cried out and said, if it's really you, Lord, bid me to come to you. Peter was pretty good at at just sort of sticking his foot in his mouth. And after he said that and Jesus said, all right, get out of the boat and come, Peter may have regretted that impetuous remark. But Peter put a leg over the gunwale of the boat and began to walk in it for a while. He was walking on top of the water, defying physics, defying all of the laws that he had known until he got his eyes off the Lord and he began to sink. And Jesus picks him out of those troughs of the waves. It was Peter Sometimes Peter's mouth was good. It was Peter that when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And everybody gave their own understanding or others and Jesus said, no, no, let me know what you say. And Peter thinks for a moment and then it blurts out, just can't hound him. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're right, Peter. And upon that confession, not upon you, Peter, but upon that understanding that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm going to build my church on that and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And Peter, he puffs up his chest and he'll, mm, yeah, I'm, I'm him. Yeah, that lasted just a little bit. It lasted until Matthew chapter, uh, or rather Mark chapter 8 when Jesus begins to tell him that, that he's going to have to suffer some things. And Jesus is beginning to lay the stage for this Easter week. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, Peter. James and John and Bartholomew and disciples, I'm going to have to be rejected of the chief priests and I'm going to be killed and I'll come back to life. And oh, Peter took him. The Bible says that Peter took him and began to rebuke him. The disciple grabs the master and says, now let me tell you something. I, you have done some amazing things in your life right now in these last couple of years, but you got this one wrong. Insomuch that Jesus says, you know what, get behind me, Satan. Peter's face fell. But it was okay because later on, Peter and James and John would walk up a mountain and see one of the most amazing sights that's ever been recorded. As Jesus stood on that mountain and his whole countenance changed and he was transfigured and they could hardly look at him and, and, and Moses and Elijah came down and met with them and they talked. Again, Peter was a bit impetuous. He wanted to build three temples right there and just kind of stay in the moment but there was more that God had for him. They go down. 
they're in that day of Passover, that upper room, and then later they go to the Mount of Olives. And depending on how you look at the gospel, somewhere along the lines, Mark, and I'm going to use Mark's uh, portrayal of this because, again, it's really very much connected to Peter, Mark's words. And so Peter, perhaps he was dictating to Mark that, you know, after that upper room experience, we went out and we sung some hymns and we went to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus, I remember when Jesus was saying, he said, Tonight you're going to be offended in me. Tonight something's going to happen. I'm going to be risen and, 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 and I'm going to have to go before you into Galilee. And Peter, he jumps up and he says, oh no, I'll never be offended of you, Lord. I'll follow you wherever you want to go. I'll follow you even to the grave. And Jesus kind of gives a sad smile and says, now Peter, today, before tonight is over, rooster's going to crow three times. Or I'm sorry, before the rooster crows two times, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, Peter vehemently, he would speak. I mean, he, he, he was passionate. You can't, you, you got to give him that. No way, God. I will go to the ends of the earth for you. I've walked and I've walked on water and, and I've done this. I will not defend, or I will not uh, offend you. I will not deny you. I'll die with you. But something happened, and it's so true in our lives. After all of that, God tells Peter that you're going to deny me, and you think Peter would have been praying and fasting and weeping and crying, but just go a little bit further, and you find that they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus says, stay here, I'm going to go a little bit deeper and pray, and Jesus prays, his body, his, his mind is racked to the, the flesh, the human side of Jesus doesn't want to die. And, and, and he's, he's crying, it's like great drops of blood that pour from his head. And, and it's that phrase, if let this cup pass from me, but whatever your will be thou. And then he comes back and here's Peter sleeping. You know, Peter that said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah, he's out. Jesus wakes him up and says, come on and. They can't do it. Then all of a sudden out of the mountain or out of the hills comes a row of torches. And, and there it is, Judas in front of them leading the temple guards and the Sadducees, the Pharisees and the priests. And they come and Judas plants that betrayer's kiss on Jesus' face and he says, this is the one. And they begin to put Jesus in, in some chains. And Peter grabs a sword and lops off the ear of the high priest's servant. Jesus rebukes Peter, picks up the ear, puts it back, heals him. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 14 verse 50 that all the disciples forsook Jesus and they fled. And now at, at, at Peter's life of around 34 years old, that old rough and vile and vulgar nature of that fisherman comes out. He's scared. He's never faced it quite like this. He's used to the pomp. He's used to the crowds, the loaves and the fishes and all of that. And, and it doesn't happen. And there he is beneath the palace. One version of the Bible says, meaning he's as far away from, the, from what Jesus is going through. He's just kind of looking through the portals. And it's there that as he's warming himself by a fire, a maid comes out. A maid of the high priest and looks at him and says, Hey, I've saw you with Jesus of Nazareth before. Peter ducks his head and pulls up his collar and says, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't know what you're saying. And the rooster crows. Doesn't ring anything in Peter's ear. And the maid comes again and says, and now she's getting other people involved. And she says, this is, this is one of those disciples of Jesus that's in there. 
Peter begins to deny it again and, and, and he says, no, no, you, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm just, I'm just here warming myself by the fire and the crowd begins to rise and the rabble begins to go and they said, no, no, you are a Galilean. I know you talk like him, you act like him, you look like him, you follow him and all of a sudden that old rough and tumble and vile, vulgar talk begins to come out of Peter that he used to hear around the docks and he curses and he swears and he says, by my life I don't know who that Jesus man is and the rooster crows this time it's like a foghorn in Peter's mind and he remembers the word of Jesus and tears begin to roll down his face and he realizes I have let Jesus down now can I just help out Peter had given everything he had for the last three and a half years or so he was all in it for Jesus Christ he had left his nets there was no plan B for Peter but now Jesus is dead and his faith is severely shaken Luke chapter 24 we'll read it a little bit later but Luke chapter 24 says they, had, they didn't know or they had forgotten the scripture that stated Jesus would rise again and so here it is Peter I'm kind of convinced that Peter was on the outskirts of the crucifixion and he was there and somehow he saw maybe from a great distance those nails and he was there he was hiding he heard the outcries the nails the groans the scream of the thieves as they were crucified I wonder if Peter heard Jesus heave that last heave and say it is finished if Peter and maybe I'm taking some literary uh, freedom but in my mind Sister Sorrels Peter was close enough to hear Jesus say it is finished and it was like a dagger straight to Peter's heart it wasn't what you and I think this was a moment of finality it's finished it's over he's dead there's nothing more I don't know maybe Peter held a faint hope after all Lazarus was dead four days and he rose again and, and after all Peter had seen Jairus' daughter raised but the common denominator brother Perryman in both of those was Jesus was alive it was Jesus that reached down to that, that little girl and lift her up it was Jesus that stood at that tomb and said Lazarus come forth who was going to stand at the tomb of Jesus who was going to be there and call him out who would take Jesus' cold and clammy hand and command him to rise? And Peter would have told you, nobody. The Sadducees were a group of theologians of the Jewish religion that did not believe in resurrection. And their teaching was very prevalent in that day. Simply put, the Sadducees would have told you, when you die, you die. There's nothing more. Live your life on earth, be good, and you'll have a good life. But when you die, you're nothing but worm food, and there's really nothing there. And So perhaps it was that Peter wonders if they were really right. He's lost, he's wandering around, tears standing. I don't know, maybe he went to Judas' funeral. After all, Judas betrayed Jesus, and look where he ended up. A noose in a common grave, and I'm just kind of confident. But as the day progressed and then the night and another day, Peter walked around and said and wondered, maybe I should just do the same. Maybe I should use the same rope. His life was over. 34, 35 years old, disillusioned, 
If he had had any faith that grew and rose during the last three and a half years of Jesus walking on this earth, it was gone and he had nothing left but to go back and fish. It's hard to go back to a menial job when you've walked on water. It's hard to go back to mending nets when you've watched thousands be fed, but there's nothing left. And while Peter might be alive, I can assure you, he was not living. And so Peter just moped. Thoughts of suicide most likely plagued his mind. What do I do with my life? And then all of a sudden, Mark chapter 16 begins to open up. The Sabbath was passed and Mary Magdalene, the Mary, of Jan- the Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had brought sweet spices to the tomb of Jesus to anoint him. And they wondered who is going to roll away the stone from the sepulcher. But when they get there that day, there's no stone in front of the tomb. It's already been rolled away. They don't know how. And they go in and they see a young man sitting, most likely an angel of some sort. The angel says, don't be scared. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified, but he is risen. He's not here. But I love what, what he says. And remember, the book of Mark, it has the voice of Peter behind it. It's why the book of Mark says that it says the angel looked at those ladies and said, Go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee and you're going to see him. And they take off running. The book of Luke begins to do it a little bit longer. The book of Luke tells us that they went and they told the men, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and some other women, they go to the disciples and they say, he's not in the tomb. I don't know what happened. An angel or somebody told me he's risen, but they didn't believe him, the Bible says. But Peter arose and he runs to the sepulcher and stooping down, he beholds the linen clothes laid by themselves. The book of John takes that even farther. The book of John says that the women came and told Peter and John and they take off running and John outruns Peter and gets to the tomb and he sees the open tomb and he stops. He doesn't know what to do. And impetuous Peter runs in. There's no Jesus. What am I going to do? What's going to happen? I will tell you that that day in Peter and John's life it was not a day of excitement. They didn't know what was going on. They thought his body had been stolen. But Luke chapter 24 says that Jesus found Simon. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 5 tells us again that Jesus showed himself to Peter first and then the twelve. And I'm convinced the entire reason that Jesus found Peter first was because he wanted Peter to know, because I'm alive, you can be too. Because I live, you can face tomorrow. Because I'm whole, you can make it, you can do it. Peter was 31 years old when he met Jesus, and history tells us that Peter died around the age of 65. You put those two together. For some 34 years, Peter would have lived with Jesus and with the Holy Ghost. And so if you will, his life began to matter. The backside of Peter's life was far greater than the front side of Peter's life. You could go to the day of Pentecost. You can look at the book of Acts. I would tell you today, because he lives, Peter could face his tomorrow. All of a sudden... 
when you've got the one with nail scars in his hands that reaches down and looks at the one that denied him three times and I promise you this conversation happened he looked at Peter and he said Peter I forgive you because he lives I can face tomorrow 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50 and I'm going to read this it says, now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit corruption. But behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal, remember this, this mortal must put on immortality. And when the corruptible is put on incorruption and the mortal is put on immortality, then it shall be called, be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. My life is worth living just because he lives. I want you to listen very carefully right now. I love the resurrection. I love Easter. I love everything it has to do with the passion of the Christ. But I want you to hear the voice of this preacher today. Because Jesus lives, there will be a tomorrow. Because Jesus lives, there is an eternity. Had Jesus not busted out of that tomb, Sadducees would have been right. Live your life, die, nothing more. But because he lives, he shows you and I, eternity is real. Heaven and hell is real because he lives. Because he lives, you will live forever. You're either going to live in heaven with Jesus, or you'll live in eternity of hell without him. I know that song is a happy song and I'm going to continue to sing it but listen to me you will have to feast tomorrow because he lives but I will tell you this and I love the way Gloria Gaither wrote it not only because he lives I have to face eternity but because he lives all fear is gone Romans says it this way I can have peace with God through Christ Jesus my Lord I can know it because I know he holds my future and so it is that his death was necessary to bring us redemption his death was necessary to allow you and I to be a partaker of the new covenant I, really this ought to be its own sermon and maybe next Easter I'll preach this. You'll probably forget about it. And so you'll think, man, pastor's a good preacher when I bring this up again. But did you know that in all of the passion story, there is only one true believer? 
Do you know who he is? The thief on the cross. You remember last Sunday I preached on on, uh, the triumphant entry and the hosannas and the fact that they put him on a colt and all of that and how they wanted Jesus to be the conquering hero and usher in a new kingdom and overthrow the, the Romans and all of that. Remember that? That's what Peter and them wanted. But that thief on the cross, Luke chapter 23, verse 35 through 43 Bible says that over the cross, at the top of the cross, there was a board nailed and on it an inscription that said, Jesus, King of the Jews. Oh, they made fun of him. They laughed at him. They spit on him. They scorned him. If you're really a king, Jesus, get off that cross and come down if you're really going to have a kingdom. Then let somebody fight for you. Where's your army? Where's the angels? One of those other thieves, one of the malefactors that was on one side of Jesus began to rail on Jesus saying, if you be the Christ, save yourself and save us. And this other thief that's in the same agonizing grip of the crucifixion begins to rebuke him and he says, are you insane? Don't you know who that is in between us? This is God. And we, we re-deserve what we got. We lived a life that was vile. We lived a life of crime and we deserve this, but he doesn't deserve any of this. And that thief looks at Jesus. Sister Way, I don't find any record that that thief ever saw any of Jesus' miracles. I don't know if he ate of the bread. I don't know what it was about it, but there was something. That thief who had lived his entire life for this moment to die on an old rugged cross. That thief turns to Jesus and in between sobs and the heaving of a breast and the scream of pain, he says, God, will you remember me when you go to your kingdom? He looked at Jesus and he said, because I know when you close your eyes and you die, that's the moment that covenant is signed and sealed. And I realize that because you died, there is hope tomorrow. It was the death of Jesus that brought the kingdom of God. But I'm going to bring it all home to you today and I invite you to stand. All across this building from the front to the back, would you stand to your feet? Would you listen one more time to this preacher? If Peter could walk with God and be with God and do all of that and then cuss him out at the end and vilely rebuke him and and deny him if Jesus was so concerned about Peter that he made a personal approach and said go tell the disciples but you better make sure you find Peter in fact I know you're going to find him Mary but they won't believe you I'll find him myself Jesus says if Jesus is willing to do that for Peter he's willing to do that for you And I tell you today, you have hope. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of how bad you've sinned, regardless of how far you've walked away from Christ, you have hope because He lives. I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds the future. My life is worth it. Listen to me, somebody. Your life is absolutely worth it. 
I know you may not know that. I know other people may have thrown you away and left you, left you out to dry. I know you've had parents that have said you're no good and worthless. And you've had boyfriends and husbands and wives and girlfriends. And you've had acquaintances that have thrown you away and said there's nothing worth it. There's nothing of value in your life. But I would tell you today, Jesus put two hands on the cross. And he said your life means everything to me. He was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of your peace was upon him. But it doesn't end on the cross. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Peter found repentance. Peter found grace. Peter found mercy. And today, those things are for you as well. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. We preached last Sunday about the altar. And when I invite you to come to the altar, I know you're moving up and there's some steps here that some like to kneel, others like to stand, but some stay right where they are and they just put their head and they begin to let God speak to them. The altar right now is wherever you make it because Jesus wants to talk to you. Because I've watched you all through this sermon. I've watched you all through this service. I've watched those tears begin to float on your face. Sometimes it was tears of guilt and condemnation. But right now, I want you to let it be the tears of a, uh, for you. Your understanding that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That Peter that messed up so crazy once Jesus got a hold of him after that cross and after that tomb, it was going to be Jesus, it was rather it was going to be Peter that stood on the day of Pentecost and began to preach about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he got done preaching in Acts chapter two, somebody hollered out from the back of the crowd. They said, "Hey, Peter, I don't know what's different about you, man, but there's something about the words you're saying. It's it's grabbing me right here. I feel like my heart's going to explode." King James says they were pricked in their heart, but Buford's version says my heart's going to explode. Somebody in the crowd was gripping the pew in front of them so tight their knuckles were turning white. Somebody else was shaking. They had never felt the power of a spoken word like this. They said, what do we got to do with this? And Peter smiled because he's been through this. He said, oh, let me tell you. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, the removal of all your sins and you shall receive that beautiful gift of the Holy Ghost that promises for you. It's for your children and all that are afar off. Because He lives, you can face today and you can face tomorrow. Why don't you let God begin to speak to you? Why don't you let those tears begin to roll? I want to encourage you. Why don't you maybe even make a way to this altar so you can say, Lord, I need you. I love you, Lord. I magnify you.